Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, again, we're glad you're here with us on this uh, holiday weekend, and um, uh, want to encourage you. It was mentioned earlier, there are opportunities to sign up to serve on Christmas Eve. We really do need several hundred people to do that, to reach out, to to, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to be hospitable to those who come and help them have a great experience and to help the people you invite have a great experience. And so we hope that you will sign up after, begin signing up after the service right out in our, uh, our next steps area uh, and be thinking about who you can, who you can invite. Uh, it's still not too late to put, put a name on those stakes. We've got them down at entrance five. And uh, we'll be putting out more stakes. I wasn't here last week. I wrote out my n- names this morning for stakes to go out, uh, stakes to go out there, and want to want to keep doing that. We, you know, we just really kind of waded through Black Friday. Although I'm, I'm I'm not sure that's really the right word anymore because, like, even this morning I got an email, some emails at home that said, you know, Black Friday sales are still going on. I got emails about three weeks ago that said Black Friday sales have already started. So I think, you know, it's, it's kind of forever. Tomorrow is supposed to be Cyber Monday, but I'm not sure that that. And Tuesday is Giving Tuesday. Um, but, you know, we started seeing Christmas decorations, I did at least, back in September in some stores. Christmas ads began before Halloween. And, of course, Black Friday sales have been going on for who knows how long. In fact, it's been... Hard to even hear about Thanksgiving unless it had to do with with football because so much attention has been put on Christmas. And yet almost everything we've been barred by for Christmas has very little to do with the original reason for Christmas. So that over the last several years there have been movements to try to keep the focus of Christmas on its real reason, its real purpose. Um, Merry Christmas has been championed by, and by so many folks, and, and several of you have already said that to me this morning, over the generic things like happy holidays or season's greetings. Others have been intentional about, they talk about keeping Christ in Christmas uh, and, and reminding us that Jesus is the reason for the season. Yet we often fail to realize that what we're experiencing now is not unique to early 21st century America. Um, Back in 1223 A.D., so just want to get clear what side of Jesus we're talking about, uh, so almost 800 years ago, St. Francis of Assisi wanted to take the focus of Christmas off the material gift-giving customs of his day and bring it back to the birth of Jesus. And so that year, for the very first time that we have any record of anywhere that, that we can find, St. Francis of Assisi created a living nativity scene using real people, real animals, in a cave near Gracio in central Italy. And we just, real quick, have a map here of Italy. Here's Gracio located right here, uh, just a little bit north of, of Rome. And in fact, there today, now they commemorate that, uh, in, that cave where it was originally done with the next photo, which is... Uh, this is the actual location where they first did it, and they've now painted that scene, if you will, into the, into the, into the cave setting there as a remembrance of, of what they did. These reenactments, 
800 years ago, became very popular and, and quickly spread so that within 100 years, virtually every church in Italy had a living nativity scene. And yet, as time went on, statues often replaced the live characters and the scenes grew more elaborate, more ornate, till you, you get ones like this that are incredibly uh, involved and cities tried to kind of outdo each other in, in how ornate they could make them. Interestingly, oxen and donkey were typically found back then in nativity scenes, even though they're not specifically mentioned in the gospel accounts because of the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah said, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. In other words, he's dealing with the same kinds of things. People are forgetting to worship their God. But he said, The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. Foreshadowing something 700 years later. But Israel, the people of God, does not know. My people do not understand. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah was witnessing God's people failing to keep the main thing, the main thing, to keep the focus on God. But he observed that the ox and the donkey did. And so they became a part of those early nativities. Sheep were also typically found in nativities, both because of the shepherds coming there, but also because Jesus is called in, in, the, in the Gospels, uh, John the Baptist calls him the Lamb of God. That they understood, he was understood to be the sacrificial lamb that was sacrificed on Passover. And so the, the, the presence of sheep in the nativity scene was a foreshadowing of his coming crucifixion. So here at Gateway, we're, keeping, we're, we're working to keep the main thing, the main thing, with Jesus at the center of our Christmas celebration. We have bookmarks that are available to you out in the lobby areas to help you stay in God's Word through the month of December. And you can pick them up after the service to give you a, a reading, a chapter or less a day to keep the main thing the main thing because it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get caught up in the busyness of the season and the pressures of the season and the gift buying of the season, and the financial pressures of the season. And this is a, a tool to help you. And, and our decorations here in, the, in the, our worship area are centered around the nativity. And, and you'll see them here and in the, the ornaments. And uh, front and center is the nativity itself of Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus in, in the crib or in the manger uh, with the stars shining. And we'll be looking in this series we're calling Come and Worship. We're going to be looking at one of the main characters in the nativity scene each week to, to see what that character can teach us today. Not simply something that happened long ago, but what he can teach us today. And today we start with Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. And the truth is, we really don't know that much about Joseph. I mean, if you dig into the, the, to the, to the Scriptures and when you read, he is directly mentioned in only two of the four Gospels, Matthew and Luke, which are, in fact, the only two Gospels that actually tell the birth of Jesus' story. And then he's only mentioned in the birth story or in the early years of Jesus. He is alluded to in Mark where it talks about Jesus at one point being the carpenter's son, but that's the only allusion to Joseph in the Gospel of Mark. And there is no mention at all of, of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Of, no mention of John, 
no mention of Joseph. I'll get it. It's one of those J's, okay? Joseph in the Gospel of John. Luke tells us a story that when Jesus was 12 and, and he gets left behind in Jerusalem as the family heads back to Nazareth. And, and in that story, we know Joseph is there. He's mentioned. But the next time we read about Jesus, he's about 30 years old and beginning his ministry. And there is no more mention of Joseph anywhere in the, in the picture. Most scholars believe that somewhere in the intervening years he died. Though there are no reliable sources to document that or to tell us what happened, Scripture nowhere tells us exactly what happened, much less how it happened. What we do know is that both Matthew and Luke trace Joseph's ancestry back to King David, who lived a thousand years earlier, and for whom out of his ancestry, David's ancestry, would come the Messiah. Um, Joseph was a carpenter by trade, and, and this is a modern-day uh, reenactment of what a carpenter's shop would have looked like back then, uh, the, the tools of the trade. And the family lived most of Jesus' life in Nazareth. And again, here is the Mediterranean Here's the Sea of Galilee. Here's the Dead Sea. The Jordan River runs through here. Uh, right here is Jerusalem. And just south of Jerusalem is Bethlehem, where Jesus would be born. And up across the area of Samaria, coming into the southern reaches of Galilee, uh, a Jewish area. This was a Samaritan's Jewish area. Here is Nazareth in, in red type. It's not very easy to see here but it's located right here, not that far from the Sea of Galilee, sort of between the sea and the Mediterranean. The Bible tells us that Joseph and Mary had additional children after Jesus was born, including sons named James, who we know would later go on to lead the early church and, in fact, would write the book of James and will actually be studying the book of James after the first of the year. Joseph, or Josie's, it's spelled in, in some of the Gospels, Simon and Judas, four sons, and then some sisters, though their names and even the number of them are never given in any of the Gospels. Now, probably to most folks, outwardly in that day and time, these, these brothers and sisters were considered full brothers and sisters. Because, but because Jesus' father was God through the Holy Spirit, we know that they were actually half-brothers and half-sisters through Mary. Now, the Roman Catholic Church has argued that Mary had no other children in order to keep her as a virgin throughout her life. But the language of the Bible that the Bible uses is, is, is clearly that used for brothers uh, of Jesus. It's not used for more distant kin. It's language that every time it's used, it's used to designate brothers. The Gospel of Luke uh, seems to focus mostly uh, on the birth of Jesus from the perspective of Mary while the Gospel of Matthew focuses more on Joseph's point of view. So we're going to dig into Matthew's story today to see what we can learn. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the Gospels. That's the first, Matthew's the first of the four Gospels. Uh, or you can use the Uversion Bible app, or if you have neither of those, we have the notes that are in your bulletin that you can pull out that have the Scriptures and some places to take notes and fill in the blanks. So, turning to Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, 
she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, in essence, Joseph and Mary were engaged, and the law said that they couldn't have children until they were actually married. Now, the Jewish idea of engagement was a lot stricter than the way we would understand engagement today. And an engagement back then could only be broken by death or divorce. And it was that kind of situation. It was that level of commitment. So this, the, the, the couple would be committed to one another, but they weren't allowed to live together yet. But now here we find Mary is pregnant, and Joseph knows he's not the father. Verse 19 says, Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, Joseph was well within his right to divorce her because she had become pregnant. It was possible then that that Mary could have then been stoned to death. That was one of the options of punishment for someone who became pregnant outside of wedlock. And, And yet Matthew uses a key phrase to describe Joseph. It says he was a righteous man. In the New Testament, the word righteous carries a couple of important but related meanings. First, it means to be right with your neighbor, right with neighbor. Uh, in essence, it means doing the right thing, especially to those around you, having a right relationship with people around you, doing good for the sake of others. In First John, it says when people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. Joseph intended to do what was typically considered to be the right thing with Mary by divorcing her. After all, it it would not be right for him, a righteous man in the eyes of the law and, and of the people, to marry a woman who was carrying some other man's child. But Joseph, being a righteous man, would also do what was right, the right way in that he did not intend to publicly divorce her and thereby endanger her or her family. So he would seek a quiet divorce. But there's still a a second, more important meaning of righteous, and that is to be right with God. Being righteous or right with God goes far beyond just simply doing the right things. Because on on one hand, it's possible to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. I mean, we can be nice to somebody because we want something in return. We can give some money to somebody because we want something back. It's very easy. If we're honest, all of us probably can think of times when we, we did something that outwardly was applaudable, that looked good, that was a nice thing to do. But in fact, if we're honest and if we look on the inside of ourselves, we'd say, well, but I was really kind of doing it for self-serving reasons. I was doing it for my sake. The Pharisees were often guilty of this. And, and, and Jesus warned them. He said, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, You are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. In God's eyes, doing the right thing for the wrong reasons didn't make you righteous. It made you deceitful. It made you 
a liar. And Jesus always, he never gave those folks any slack. That's why he was always so hard on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because they, they would talk about doing these right things, but their heart was all about looking good to the public around them. But on a deeper level, righteousness isn't so much about actions as it is a, about relationships. Not just do we do the right things, but is our relationship with God right? And at that point, if we're honest, we're all in trouble. Because none of us do the right thing all the time. And even worse, even when we do the right thing, our motives aren't always right. None of our thoughts are right all the time either. Scripture in, verse, in Romans 3.10 says, No one is righteous, not even one, on our own. None of us, including Joseph, could ever be truly right with God in, in their own actions. So how then can we have a right relationship with God? The reality is we can't by ourselves. And, and yet many people in the world around us think, you know, they say, well, I, I try hard, I try to do good. You know, they, they will use that. Or even in the church sometimes people will say, well, I, I mean, I, I'm generally, I, I generally try to do the right thing. God ought to be happy with that, right? Like somehow doing the right thing regardless of the reason, ought to be good enough for God. But the truth is, Scripture says only God can choose to make sinners, make us righteous. Romans 3.22 says, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we trust God in what he has done for us in Jesus Christ, when, when we ask him to forgive us of our sins and by faith believe that he has and that his, his Holy Spirit has come to live in us, to transform us, God makes us righteous or, or right with him. God restores the relationship that we broke through our wrong actions, through our wrong thoughts, through our sins. And Romans 1.17 says, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Joseph was made righteous. He was made right with God. Not by his actions but by his attitude and faith in God, his trust in him and his seeking of God and, and his forgiveness. And when we recognize this, this gift of righteousness we receive by faith, when we realize this gift of righteousness opens the door of heaven for us to go there after we leave this life, when we realize this gift frees us from having to live up to anyone else's expectations except God, we are truly then grateful Part of what we celebrated last Thursday, but, but not just simply one day out of the year, but living gratitude and therefore want to do the right thing the right way for the right reasons. We want to be right with our neighbors, to love our neighbors as God has first loved us. So Joseph's greatest concern wasn't just to treat Mary right, 
but more importantly, to please God by seeking to do what was right in, in his eyes. And, and in his first thought, as he looked at Scripture and what he knew from the Old Testament and the interpretations of the Pharisees was to divorce her quietly. But then, Scripture tells us, verse 20, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Joseph is now confronted with a choice. Do I do what the culture says is right? Do I do what the religious leaders say is right? Or do I do what God says is right? What God tells me to do. At this point, then, the full, the, the, the second meaning of righteousness comes into play because Joseph truly was righteous. He was right with God. His ultimate desire was to be obedient to God and what God desired him to do above all else. Just because everyone else was doing something different, he was doing what they wanted to do, just because all their friends were doing it that way, didn't mean it was what God wanted him to do or what he wants you and me to do. Too many people today don't believe there are any absolute rights or wrongs, that, that we can justify anything, that it may be right for you, but that doesn't mean it's right for me. And we can rationalize all kinds of things. If it feels good, then it ought to be okay. If my emotions are in it, then that must be a sign from God that it is okay. But the Bible tells us the only standard for righteousness is God. And the righteous person has put their faith in God through Jesus Christ and received Christ's righteousness as a gift, as a covering. And because of that gift of being credited as righteous, as Abraham was, the righteous person chooses to live their life based solely on seeking to please God, striving to do what God says, to live up to what God calls us to do. The, the righteous person wants to be obedient and do God's will, regardless of the outcome, regardless of what others think, regardless of what's going on in the culture around us. If Joseph chose to go ahead and get married to Jesus, to Mary, yeah, to Mary, there are going to be consequences. Because some were going to realize Mary had become pregnant before they were married. And so Joseph had a choice to make. Would he do what everyone else would think was right? Would he do the seemingly right thing with Mary? Or would he do what God said was right? Would he do the right thing, the right way, for the right reasons. Verse 24 says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. 
Joseph was righteous as a gift from God. But his life reflected that righteousness as he chose to do what God wanted him to do. And and he continued doing that. When we jump to chapter 2 of Matthew, verse 13, if you go ahead and turn over to that. It says, when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Because Joseph had faith in God and and is seeking God's righteousness, he doesn't argue with the angel, and he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't say, well, let me wait till morning, at least where I can see and we can pack up everything. It says he gets up during the night and immediately gets his family to safety. And it's a good thing he did because Herod orders the death of boys to and under in and around Bethlehem. Verse 19 says, Then after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up. Notice the obedience took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Matthew shows us Joseph was a man committed to obedience to God. Luke tells us that Joseph and Mary presented Jesus for dedication on the eighth day, as was required by the law of Moses, by Scripture. Not by interpretation of Scripture, but by Scripture. And each year, Luke tells us, the family traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, as the law of Moses required. In other words, Joseph sought to lead his family always in obedience to God. That was his choice. Sometimes that word from God came to Joseph in dreams from an angel, and we read about those times in Matthew. But many other times it came through Scripture, and he obeyed what Scripture said to him, the Scripture he had from that day and time. Not the interpretations layered on it by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but what God's Word itself said. He continued striving to live up to the righteousness that God had awarded him. And, and here's the thing. These weren't simply moments in his life, occasions, now and then. It was his lifestyle to live for Jesus, to live in obedience to God, day in, day out. And as as you and I enter this Christmas season, we have choices too, just like Joseph did to go along with cultural expectations and and look right to the world around us, to try to fit in, or to trust God and seek His will in everything we do. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness every day in order to be right with God by His grace. And, and, and if we make those choices, 
There are going to be times it puts us in conflict with the culture around us, with, with friends, with family. There are going to be people who look at us and think, you're nuts. And people who think, why are you going to church? Or why are you talking about Jesus in the midst of all of this? And some people just won't understand. But who do you want to be right with? People around you? Or with God? Some 30 years later, in the weeks after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, the apostles were telling everyone about Jesus, and, and the, the Pharisees didn't like it, and they brought him before the Jewish Sanhedrin, where they told the apostles that you are not to talk about Jesus anymore. And in Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God. That's exactly what Joseph did. And it's what God still calls you and me to do today. And and, and not just today in this hour where we're in church, but the rest of the day and tomorrow and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. To love God, and to love our neighbor, and to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Not occasionally, not when the preacher reminds you, not when it's convenient, because that's what the culture expects. what does God expect? He told us, love God, love your neighbor, and go and make disciples. God wants you and me to do the right things the right way and for the right reasons. Will you fulfill your calling for those of you who are a disciple of Jesus Christ to be committed to him? Worship Him. Every opportunity you get here on Sundays during this Christmas season, but also at other times. Will you be committed to daily read His Word and pray? Because you want His guidance each day. Will you connect with other Christians and be in fellowship with them to to love and care and, and, and in Encourage one another. Will you serve him by serving in and through his church and beyond as his church out in the world, at your workplace and in your neighborhoods and with your friends? And will you tell others about him? As the apostles did. We'll have next week for you cards and social media tools to help you invite your friends to church, especially for Christmas Eve, but quite honestly for any Sunday, and certainly any Sunday in December. Uh, the, the church is being already decorated here and will be further decorated. You'll be helping us shortly to decorate out, uh, to deck the halls in preparation for our friends, our guests, our, our neighbors, our coworkers. To, to invite them to come 
and to pray for them. As I mentioned to you before, I, I wasn't here last Sunday, but I put names on stakes and they're going to be placed in that field because I'm going to be praying for those folks to come. I'm going to be inviting them as God opens doors for me to do that. But here's the thing. I'm not going to stop praying on December 25th for them. The truth of the matter is, three of those four names I've been praying for since several years ago when we started praying for people. I'm still praying for them. And quite honestly, none of them have come yet. Unless you're out there and I don't know it. It's not about me. It's about being faithful to God. It's about being obedient to Him. And I intend to continue praying. Either until I die, or they come, or they die. But I'm going to keep praying. And I invite you to do the same. Because God is still working miracles today. God is still there. But he wants to work in and through us. He calls us to be the body of Christ, to be the hands, the feet, the, the voice of Jesus. Because we live in a time where people are forgetting about him, where the cultural awareness is about Christmas as a secular holiday. And much like St. Francis of Assisi, who created that first nativity, we as followers of Jesus Christ have to go out into the world and recreate the reason for the season. We have to, again, point Jesus... Point people to Jesus, the Christ of Christmas. That Christmas is not just some made-up word, but it was Christ's mass. It was Christ's worship. We are called to focus on this season, on Jesus, and throughout the year. To come and worship every Sunday and every day. Our prayer team is going to be down here if you'd like to come and talk to them. If, if you need to welcome Jesus into your life, they would, be, they would love to pray with you about that. I and some friends will be out this door uh, in the lobby. We'd love to say hello to you, and especially as you have guests, bring them over. And, and I hope that throughout this, this coming month of December that many of you have guests that you bring over to introduce to me and to others. Because we want this to be a hospitable place. A place where the love of Jesus is real and is experienced. It's not just an idea. It's not just something we do on Sundays. But it's a part of who we are. And that's why we call you to serve on Christmas Eve. Is it convenient? Not necessarily. But it's not about us. It's about being there to make a difference for the sake of others. Because that's what Jesus would do. And we are called to follow in his footsteps, to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So we invite you to, don't forget to do that, and help us be the hands, the feet, the voice of Jesus this Christmas season and, and beyond. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the example of Joseph who, uh, being a righteous man, could have just simply done what was outwardly right. But because his righteousness was grounded in his relationship with you, he chose to do what you called him to do. And in that relationship, he did not abandon Mary, but he took her as his own and, and took Jesus as his son. 
Father, there's a lot of pressure. Some of us, there's a huge amount of pressure to ignore or dismiss the real reason for Christmas. I pray, Father, that you would help us keep the main thing the main thing. Keep Christ in Christmas. Allow those nativity scenes to be more than something cute or pretty or decorations, but a reminder of why we're here by the grace of God. And use us for your glory. We pray this, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. See you next time. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.